from Movendi International, I'm Mike Dünnbier. This is the Alcohol Issues podcast. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, March 3rd, with final edits done on March 6th and 7th in 2021. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Alcohol Issues podcast. This week we focus on big alcohol claims in submissions to a WHO consultation. For this episode of the Alcohol Issues podcast, we welcome Shihara Kurei. And back on the podcast is also Kristina Sperkova. Shihara is the manager of the Big Alcohol Exposed campaign, Movendi International's initiative to expose and counteract the unethical business practices of the alcohol industry. Shihara documents and exposes the unethical tactics and practices of transnational alcohol giants compiles company profiles, maps the alcohol industry and works with Movendi International members to expose the strategies of big alcohol. Christina is the president of Movendi International and is occasionally joining the Alcohol Issues podcast for special occasions. Most recently, the World Health Organization published all submissions made to a web-based consultation from late last year about the development of a global alcohol action plan. Shehara analyzed 16 submissions of major alcohol industry producers and front groups from around the world. So with Shehara, I talk about what she found reading the submissions whether there are commonalities or even through lines across the different front groups from different alcohol industry sectors, different countries and really different parts of the world. We examine together the use of science, for example, or the lack of science in the submissions of the alcohol industry. And Christina joins the conversation to help put the claims into context and discuss what big alcohol is really up to here. Taking a detailed look at the suggestions of the alcohol industry for the development of a global alcohol action plan is revealing. I think our conversation helps identify the contradictions, shortcomings and often the PR spin the alcohol industry applies even to a technical consultation on a very specific issue. I enjoyed this eye-opening conversation with Shehara and Christina and we hope this rapid analysis and short evaluation further helps to expose why and how Big Alcohol actually engages with the World Health Organization. Hello uh, Shehara, hello Christina. So nice to have you with us and thanks for taking time for coming on the Alcohol Issues podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Mike, and thanks for having me today. Thank you, Mike, and hi, Shahara. Hi, hi, Christina. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and just to set it up a little bit. Um, we will talk about your analysis, Shahara, of um, I think 16 submissions of alcohol industry front groups to a WHO consultation. Um, and I think it's really exciting to discuss what you found and uh, what Christina thinks about some of these uh, findings. So 16 submissions means, I will just name them uh, for all the listeners to hear. Alcohol Beverages Australia, Beer Canada, British Beer and Pub Association, Bundesverband der Deutschen Spirituosenindustrie und Importeure. So that's the German liquor industry front group, um, the CEEV, the European front group for the wine producers, Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, Drink Aware, Drinks Ireland, Drinkwise Australia, Educ Alcohol, um, they are from Canada, International Alliance for Responsible Drinking, and then we have Pernod Ricard, Spirits Europe, 
the Brewers of Europe, the Scotch Whiskey Association, World Spirits Alliance, and Worldwide Brewing Alliance. So 16 submissions you have analyzed. I think the alcohol industry submitted uh, more than 70. So this is a big amount of um, submissions that you have gone through Shehara. And I think it shows that they are from different industry sectors and from different parts of the world, which I think also helps us then to really see the bigger picture. Um, so that's the setup. And I think it's just probably most interesting to begin with this uh, very surprising question. In your analysis of this really in the recent days, what are the most common issues that these alcohol industry front groups bring up in their submissions? Um, what is it that you found there, Shehara? I could find a really similar pattern in most of them. And uh, the common arguments are, it's surprisingly, those are very identical. And even the phrasing of the sentences in the submissions seems very identical, even though the sectors are different and they are the independent organizations. One is that uh, reducing harmful alcohol use, alcohol, and not consumption per se is they are giving and insisting WHO that the WHO should be consistent using harmful use of alcohol without considering or mentioning consumption per se. And uh, another argument is that industry want to be a full partner of uh, WHO alcohol policy uh, formulation and they are actually making some great voice in saying that the WHO has been isolating or marginalizing alcohol industry through the saying that industry interference by using the word industry interference in the working document and they have been uh, offended by it and they have been requesting WHO to explicitly mention them as and make them their own full partner as it was declared in the UN um, declaration for NCDs in 2018 and also the sustainable development goals under the partnership mm. and one of the other main argument is that the framework convention on alcohol should be rejected and the other argument is international trade of alcohol and the labeling regulations is responsibility of other organizations and WHO should not involve in the work of other organizations which are explicitly says that it is for the trade. And the other one of the interesting argument was alcohol policies should be calibrated into national cultural and regulatory and local context. So they want not a one-size-fit approach or policy, but they want country-specific policies for the alcohol industry, alcohol control. And also the industries are arguing that highly restrictive policies like alcohol taxation and alcohol bans have an impact on illicit alcohol trade. And also it has lower effect on cons um, consumers who are using alcohol in moderate. They also make a note about earmarking taxes, saying that it has both pros and cons and WHO has not stated their, stated their, their own standing about earmarking taxes in WHO um, in this working document and action plan. Also, there is uh, there's very interesting uh, argument they are bringing about the conflict of interest of industry and public health and the industry is saying alcohol industry is saying that there's no inherent conflict of between uh, alcohol industry and public health that they insist that policies shouldn't focus on causes of alcohol abuse and not for the alcohol use so the 
policies WHO is proposing should be for the reasons for alcohol abuse and not to regulate alcohol use and alcohol industry per se, not targeting them directly, but something like they should propose policies for changing consumer behavior and changing consumer attitudes. They are making some uh, contradicting arguments against science that advertising does not lead to increasing total consumption of alcohol and warning, warning labels are not effective. When it comes to the SAFER, the WHO technical toolkit, uh, industry is very straightforward in against it and they always insist that SAFER is a one-size fit for the alcohol control and the policies should not be like that. Also, they are making a comment that SAFER was not endorsed by the member states and uh, the, finally, they are making a comment about funding for research. Yeah, this is, uh, of course, quite an impressive um, analysis that you have made. So I try to keep uh, track, Shehara, you have now identified 12 mm -hmm. uh, common elements uh, across these uh, 16 submissions that you have analyzed. And I think there is lots to unpack. So I think it's great that you are here and that Christina is here with us. Um, Christina, what is it, as you listen to Shehara and just this brief summary of the analysis, what is it that you reacted to? My first impression uh, when I was reading the analysis was um, that it's very interesting how they argue uh, like some arguments are coming out of nowhere for, for me, like out of the blue, it just appears there. And I actually expected much higher level of sophistication in argumentation, because some of these are so simple and so not evidence-based and like it is really so well established that for me, it's even ridiculous that they are even starting a discussion in this consultation for example, about the effectiveness of uh, of the three best buys or of these measures. Like we know that uh, it's waste of time to write it, uh, especially because this is a WHO consultation and it's WHO that is supposed to uh, consider these contributions to improve the document. But if I start writing there that red is green, the, I don't think that the WHO can do anything with that kind of, uh, contribution. So for me, that would be my first uh, reaction. And I will be then happy to go into different um, findings that Shahara just listed. Yeah, I think we'll go through them to unpack this. Um, I think the point you made now, Christina, is uh, important to linger on a little bit. So this is um, an consultation process requested by member states to formulate a global action plan that helps improve the implementation of the global alcohol strategy. So everything here is about creating another tool that helps governments, our countries around the world to do a better job in implementing the global alcohol strategy. Uh, that's the context. And uh, so that the alcohol industry, for example, um, attacks this uh, concept of uh, per capita alcohol consumption is completely uncalled for because this is a foundational element of the global alcohol strategy. This is a foundational element of SDG 3.5. It's the indicator that countries use to measure whether they are on track. So I'm, I'm with you here, Christina, if you just uh, look at the bigger picture. It's just surprising that they are not up to the task at hand, but they are actually just uh, reproducing all these kinds of claims that we hear anyway all the time uh, from the alcohol industry. They don't seem to be really interested in, as you are saying, Christina, helping to develop a good global action plan to improve the implementation of the global alcohol strategy. So let's start then uh, from the top um, 
Shihara, you said that they are insisting on this kind of framing. There has to be the focus on harmful use of alcohol um, as opposed to uh, per capita alcohol consumption or the total alcohol consumption in a, in a population. Um, what do we think about this? Why, why did you pick this um, uh, claim from the alcohol industry, Shihara? Yeah, I think uh, this, this will be the most important claim in their submission because they always get use of this word harmful throughout the submission. I think they use this harm, using this harmful, the word harmful and uh, to manipulate the science. So all the science findings, the evidence-based publications, which uh, the scientists have put so much effort and so much time and money and finding to the finding these most effective approaches to control alcohol uh, harm. And they seem, by simply using this word harmful, they can manipulate all these scientific publications and to make them in, uh, for their own advantage. Uh, if you clearly go through their submissions for all this, I can actually bring some of the examples by BSI, the German organization. They say there's no causal link of advertising and abusive alcohol consumption. So here they use abusive to manipulate the most important finding that advertising of course have a causal effect on increasing in alcohol harm and uh, for the uh, alcohol use per se. So by using this one word abusive, they can just manipulate around science. So I think, and all throughout all the arguments, the further arguments of the alcohol industry, they they took advantage of this. So to stand in their own grounds, they need this word and the harmful use of alcohol to be there to further bring up their all other arguments. Yeah, that's what I found, and it is very uh, obvious if anyone read their submissions. If it is not there, the arguments will be so invalid. What is it that you think about this claim, Christina? Yeah, I, I reflect uh, something similar and also that the industry is really, really keen on the use of the word harmful. And we know that that was some kind of victory for them to have that term in the global alcohol strategy. And the, it, the strategy would look differently if the harmful is not there and it would also, uh, I believe the understanding of, of the harm caused by alcohol would be different. So the words really matter. And this, this consultation just confirms it that they really need to defend that term. Um, at the same time, and like that's I actually full stop, they need to defend that term. But then I was even thinking when I was reading it, like, uh, if I wanted to provoke, I would uh, say that I agree with the industry because they are writing there that we need to uh, reduce harmful harmful use of alcohol or harmful alcohol use. And then I would say, yes, I agree with you. We need to reduce it. Uh, all alcohol uh, use is harmful, which we also know. So that can be the only thing that we that we agree with the industry. It needs to be reduced and it's all, all the use is harmful. Yeah, and this is an important point, uh, Christina, that you uh, bring to the forefront. Because when the member states adopted the decision um, to draft this kind of global action plan, part of the conversation was uh, whether or not alcohol causes cancer and what the conclusion out of that scientific evidence base would be. And the member states were very clear. They uh, said that alcohol harm has to be addressed as a public health priority and that they want to see accelerated action on alcohol harm, um, including on uh, this uh, finding that we actually know since the 1980s, but the science is getting stronger and stronger here, that alcohol causes at least seven types of cancer. So like you're saying, there is no safe amount, there is no healthy amount of alcohol consumption. So everything is harmful. And uh, it's very interesting how they try in these submissions to 
reframe what the, this concept in the global alcohol strategy actually means. And to that end, I think I should just read what it says in the global alcohol strategy. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. So this is actually the first paragraph um, under setting the scene. Um, so it really can't be missed. It says the harmful use of alcohol has a serious effect on public health and is considered to be one of the main risk factors for poor health globally. In the context of this uh, strategy, the concept of harmful use of alcohol is broad and encompasses the drinking that causes detrimental health and social consequences for the drinker, the people around the drinker and society at large, as well as the patterns of drinking that are associated with increased, increased risk of adverse health outcomes. The harmful use of alcohol comprises both individual and social development it can ruin the lives of individuals, devastate families and damage the fabric of communities. So this is really not as Shehara identified this kind of abusive use that one individual does to themselves. Um, but as you are saying, Christina, if you just use the, the term, people don't realize what is actually in the concept. And uh, that is a big flaw of the global alcohol strategy right now. And so I think here that brings us, I will jump a little bit, but this conversation brings us to another point that uh, Shihara made that the alcohol industry wants to be a partner um, in implementing the global alcohol strategy. And I don't know whether they said reducing harmful use of alcohol and they mean something completely else than what the uh, uh, strategy signifies, I think, yeah, it was actually even the second point, so I'm not jumping, um, because for me, it it's just so surprising that they don't, they are not faithful to the document as such. We already talked about one aspect there, and now we have another one, how they try to reframe what the concept actually is, but still they want to be taken seriously as a partner in implementing a document that they are undermining every step of the way. So uh, I wanted to put that question to you. What do you think about this kind of partnership claim, uh, leveraging here SDG 17, leveraging the NCD uh, declaration from uh, 2018? Christina, what do you think about that? Yeah, like for me, that's uh, just an amazing statement. You have already indicated it like, uh, the global strategy, global alcohol strategy is listing strategies that are working uh, and are effective. And there are three best buys, for example, mentioned there and also other strategies more or less effective. And the, that's, that is supposed to be implemented. So we reduce alcohol related harm and the industry wants to be partner in that. Because that's the point with the whole with the whole thing. And in the consultation directly, they are undermining the three best buys. So for me, that's just really mind-boggling. Like what how do they want to be partners when they are undermining the best tools that we know uh, there are and that we have? Yeah. And also I think that uh, complaining that they are not. Uh, partners and they are sidelined and these things it's also like they are just like putting themselves into some kind of victim position because that is really not true like there is there are consultations with alcohol industry even more frequent than with civil society um, so I really uh, I would just disagree with this point that they are making yeah, I think you cannot deny the climate crisis and at the same time claim that you want to be part of the solution to the climate crisis that you keep denying exists. It seems to me that this is what the alcohol industry is doing. They are attacking WHO, they are undermining WHO's legitimacy um, in the response to the global alcohol burden. They are not accepting what is really sound uh, science as Shihara has talked about, but they want to claim that they should be a partner here. For me, it's I think it's important to say that even if we take this claim at face value, so the political declaration of the high-level meeting on NCDs in 2018, also based on the global alcohol strategy, because the industry has a limited role there, they are 
is so to say not sidelined and I think we are very critical to, to that role. Um, but based on that, the political declaration on NCDs in 2018 actually challenged the alcohol industry to eliminate, for example, marketing to minors. And it's now two and a half years later. And I think it's uh, safe to say that they really haven't eliminated alcohol marketing, alcohol promotion, advertising, sponsorship that exposes minors to um, alcohol. So even if they argue that there is this tool, they are not taking it seriously. I think they are making strawman arguments all the time here. And it's now so obvious there is such an avalanche of evidence that just shows that this is not making any sense. So moving on a little bit, uh, Shehara, you identified that they are referring to uh, the Framework Convention on Alcohol Control or a global binding treaty on alcohol. And of course they are against it. They say there is no way that this will happen. Um, aren't you surprised that they bring this up because this process is not at all about this? Or how do you think about that claim? Yeah, uh, for me, I think it was really surprising for me when, when I consider about a similar harmful product, uh, tobacco, and the WHO FCTC Framework Convention on Tobacco Control was a great success in controlling tobacco and related harm. And it is the main global tool currently to control tobacco. And it, it is no doubt that it is very effective. So what, what we are lacking currently is such kind of convention where every member state can agree on and work towards it. Yeah, I think this is interesting what you are saying. In a way, we are not surprised that they are against a global binding treaty on alcohol. But I'm with you. I'm also surprised that it comes up in the conversation that is specifically about developing a global action plan to implement the global alcohol strategy. Um, uh, what do you think, Christina? Yeah, I think this this goes back to my um, surprise in the that I expressed in the beginning that some arguments are coming like out of the blue because the 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 draft paper was not talking about the any framework convention or anything any binding document so they here they have commented on something non-existing there like no one has asked what do you think or how should we implement or how should we start the process on uh, fca or whatever we call it now here and so that's that's very obvious that that just came from nowhere uh, and that's very interesting that it's been repeated that it comes from several ones because i will understand if it comes from like one or two and it just appears but that more of them are repeated then it's obvious that it's also sought through and like planned to to mention it and i think it this finding uh, struck me really that um they really raise the issue that WHO should not get involved in uh, international trade and in um, international regulation of labeling, um, which as you said, uh, Shihara takes place uh, under the roof, under the umbrella of the World Trade Organization. And what strikes me here is that on the one hand, the alcohol industry is claiming, um, and I want your comments on both issues, there is actually no conflict between their profit maximization interest and public health and they should be a partner in the SDGs like SDG 3, um, 17, so they should be a partner in, in all kinds of things um, but the WHO, the global normative leader in uh, health policy, they should not be a partner to the WTO uh, when it comes to alcohol issues there how do you make sense of this or what is your reaction? Let's begin this time with uh, Christina and then over to you, Shehara. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not making sense of it. So that's, uh, but I, again, like that's just very interesting that health is, for example, at the center of Agenda 2030. And like the 
has its uh, its responsibility of governments to make sure that their citizens are healthy and can live up to their full potential in a way, and that that uh, an agency or institution that is really responsible for health should hold itself only in its small area of work like the health, even though it influences everything else what we are doing and how how we function as society. That's a, a very interesting argument that goes against everything that is right now being some kind of mainstream, like cross-sectorial cooperation, bringing everyone together at the table and the industry wants to be at the table everywhere. And all of a sudden, let's exclude WHO from, from this work. So yeah totally agree with christina about it like uh yeah and the the tone of uh, saying it from the industry too like they are actually attacking uh, it's it's somewhat offensive to who because if it is affecting the health of people and majority of the population then of course they should intervene so making their role exclusive for health and very small area of policies I think from it, it is an attacking of WHO about their uh, credibility or their responsibility about the global health. Earlier, you said, Christina, that the WHO is engaging uh, with the alcohol industry because actually of uh, the stipulations in the global alcohol strategy. And, and we have raised concerns about this. I think it's pretty obvious why this is problematic, but the feather, the MEC, the fact of the matter is that they are engaging there. So the industry actually has a chance in the global health space. And I think this just shows that they are aware that the evidence base is so strong for actually um, putting warning labels on alcohol products. And they are aware that there, there are uh, strong cases for also putting health considerations above free trade considerations and actually allowing countries like Thailand to uh, regulate alcohol in terms of labeling and in terms of other so-called non-tariff barriers. And so they want to eliminate uh, the messenger of this strong evidence from the policymaking uh, conversation in the WTO. I think that's what's going on here. They are actually afraid of uh, the public health evidence there. Um, and that doesn't seem to be kind of engagement in, in the spirit of partnership. I think it's important to linger a little bit more on this conflict of interest claim, yeah. right? Shihara, if you can remind us, what was the claim about? Yeah, they said that alcohol industry and the public health, they don't have inherent conflict of interest but it is so obvious for anyone, uh, even with a very little understanding of alcohol industry and global health, that their motives are very different and they are going two ways. Alcohol industry is, of course, for profits and they are after increasing their profits, but the public health for public welfare and the betterment of the humankind. So, and alcohol is a harmful industry as they also have identified it is. So how can this go uh, with parallelly without a conflict? There's of course a conflict in their own motives. So it is very surprising. And I'm also very surprised that they included this specific uh, statement mm. in this document for, yeah. And Shihara, are they making any substantiation how there is no conflict of interest or are they just making the claim? Uh, I think for beer industry, they are claiming that the beer, beer, the brewers, they also having the communities depending, their lifestyle is depending on this industry. So it has this livelihood effect. So people are, the, they are also part of the community. I think what they are doing here is that they don't apply this kind of scientific understanding of what a conflict of interest in public health policy making actually is. Because of course, 
people who work in the alcohol industry, they earn a living, but uh, on selling alcohol and making alcohol and uh, making alcohol advertisements and, and so on, there is no question about it. And there is revenue that comes in from the alcohol industry. But then there is the whole reality where revenue is always dwarfed by the costs of harm, for example, and where we can see that if alcohol taxation increases, harm goes down. Some people might lose their jobs, but other people are actually gaining employment. So there is a net positive effect. And But this is not a conversation of uh, conflict of interest. Conflict of interest is, for example, um, in 2003, a comprehensive study in the United States showed that underage alcohol users and adult heavy alcohol users are responsible for 50% of alcohol consumption and 49% of consumer expenditure. So heavy users and kids that shouldn't even be using alcohol are major contributors to the profit margin of the alcohol industry in the United States. That's the conflict of interest. Their profit is shrinking if they um, eliminate underage alcohol use as they are claiming and as, uh, for example, the NCD declaration challenges the alcohol industry to do. But these facts show that um, such an industry has no interest in actually reducing their profits. That would hurt the shareholders, that would hurt the bank accounts of the business executives. So they actually have no interest in protecting young people from uh, alcohol marketing and, and consumption. And that's the conflict of interest. Um, it's a group of heavy users that contribute largely to major profits of the alcohol industry. So they don't even want to eliminate the so-called harmful use of alcohol in their own definition, the alcohol abuse, because that's where the, the profit comes from. Uh, in Germany, even if the liquor industry claims something else. So I think that was in, important to unpack this. Um, what do you guys think about the alcohol industry's attack on safer? Uh, Christina, did that uh, strike you? Do you have any uh, reaction to that? The, I just realized that that was, that was an argument that went through uh, really like very many of them have uh, mentioned that uh, and that the argument is that the governments have not been involved in the creation of safer and that's why they undermine it somehow or it's a uh, uh, weight and for me that's very interesting because safer is a technical package so and safer reflects what the global alcohol strategy is writing is just simplified, put together, and now the, there is uh, there is there are there is information provided how to implement those strategies because obviously uh, that's missing, um, and and countries would need support with that. So they they again like it seems like they don't even know in which field they are right now playing and are just using an argument that the governments have not endorsed it somehow. But they of course they did by adopting the global alcohol strategy. Um, but I, I think it's good to stay a little bit more with um, safer, the best buys, what best buys are and what this claim means that they are one size fits all. Um, did I understand it correctly, Christina, that you wanted to uh, say something here? Of course, like, for example, taxation, it's not just to say, to come to every country and tell raise your taxes with 1% and everything will be wonderful. Like it's a, it's a really uh, the, like a um, com complex process to find out how to adjust the taxes to the society so they, they are effective and uh, to, to all the other economic processes and well-being of society and like everything to, together. And the same goes also for the, okay, maybe the advertising that would be uh, simpler. Uh, but taxation, absolutely. Availability also like uh, uh, can be regulated really differently, also adjusted to the context. And that's for me also very interesting that uh, they are arguing with the also like culture and local context when they want to defend uh, alcohol use and do not want to reduce it. 
but they completely ignore the cultural context where they want to introduce alcohol use. Um, and I think this is a brilliant point because, um, of course, we know that the majority of the adult population in the world are actually alcohol abstainers. So that means that, uh, Shihara, your home country is a little bit different than my home country, Sri Lanka. Most of the people actually live free from alcohol. And in, in Germany and Western Europe, that's a little bit different, as you all know. But it would mean that if the industry would be faithful to this own claim about context-specific um, policies or respecting the culture and, and the national tradition, they, they would not even try to convert uh, people in India or in South Africa uh, to alcohol consumption because they don't right now, most of them. I also, I think this is a good point, Christina, good to spell out what these cost-effective best buys actually mean. And you talked a little bit about it, that there is actually an analytic process behind it. That's why uh, alcohol taxation and availability regulations, that's why they are actually evidence-based that um, public health experts together with tax experts and the UN system supports countries in doing that. Also for tobacco uh, control, uh, they work together with um, the government, the, the local experts there to actually analyze the situation, analyze, for example, how big part of the alcohol market is informal alcohol production and, and consumption. So they can actually figure out where the level of taxation needs to be, what the best, um, the most evidence-based regulation of available availability needs to be so that it doesn't have unintended consequences, that, that it's a public health approach to reducing alcohol consumption and, and related harm. So by definition, these best buys, that's what the, the whole analysis is about. The best buys are context specific. It doesn't mean that, like you were saying, Christina, that every country has to have the same kind of alcohol taxation level. I think there are certain principles around it, indexation to inflation, um, progressive taxation that the lower strength alcohol products um, are cheaper than the higher strength alcohol products and, and so on. These are public health principles, but otherwise how South Africa implements an alcohol tax is different compared to Brazil, India or Sweden. Can, can we just speak to wrap this big part up about the suggestion that the alcohol industry wants to contribute to funding research. Their main claim is to be a collaborative partner in this alcohol policy and its in, in, in interventions. So to, the industry is arguing that they wanted to be a part of most effective interventions and the research is one of the main approach to it. And since the researchers are and research uh, research industry and researchers are going out of resources, the industry is having enough resources to fund them and be a collaborative partner without a conflict of interest. I don't know how how long it is possible because being a partner of a harmful being owner of a harmful industry and also doing research to control it. I have noticed in the analysis that they are talking about supporting like uh, unbiased research. And that for me, again, does that just simply doesn't make sense how an industry that is claiming that these things that uh, are working that have been researched by unbiased the, the uh, researchers. So this is important. Like they, by this, they are also some kind of framing that the research that there is that is claiming that taxation works and availability on all that. It's some kind of biased. And now we need to have unbiased research, and the industry uh, will come as a savior and will provide that um, finances so we can finally find out how the reality actually is. There are several things here. One is the alcohol industry is not committed itself to raising awareness about solid evidence, uh, scientific findings. 
like we said earlier, the best example is we know since the 1980s that um, alcohol causes cancer since 1988 and uh, public awareness is so low. And it's also because of how the alcohol industry presents this kind of scientific knowledge. This is solid scientific knowledge. It's getting better and better. And the, the industry is using different kind of psychological tools and dark nudges, sludges that has been analyzed now as well. And we can link to that study too, just to distract people, just to confuse people about how big is the risk now and what does it actually mean? And, or just to bore people, they are not actually reading all the information that, that might be put on an industry front group website. And, and so there is in the first place, not even this kind of commitment to, this is what the science says about alcohol harm. And, and now everybody should just have a chance to understand it. And secondly, when the alcohol industry uh, has been in the position to fund research, there was this big case that the New York Times also uncovered. They wanted to actually prove together with the uh, National Institute of Health in the US that, that moderate alcohol consumption, so-called moderate alcohol consumption is healthy. So the, the, some big alcohol producers wanted to fund the NIH and the study was supposed to be called CHEERS. So it's, it's very clear that by their own measure, this would not be unbiased. Um, it, it's very clear where they want to go, what they want to uh, show, what they want to achieve. And uh, I think that they, they are undermining their own claim by a track record of decades of you know, attacking scientists, going after the livelihood of scientists uh, when they don't like the study results. And, misrepresenting the studies, misleading uh, people about uh, these findings. So all these things, they are well proven by now. And with, with this, I think we have gone through um, most of the big and common claims that you have identified, uh, Shehara. I think we have touched upon all of them. Of course, uh, there would be, uh, we could spend even more time to unpack them and actually uh, provide uh, reality around them. But I also wanted to uh, move on and just ask, uh, is there anything that uh, stuck out for you, Shehara, for the di three different sectors? So did the beer industry claim something that was specific to them, the liquor industry, uh, the wine uh, industry front groups? Uh, is there anything that you found um, in this context? Yeah, uh, and in addition to the discussed uh, arguments, they have made their own specific arguments, which are more relevant for their own sector, especially for wine, they are bringing this argument that moderate wine consumption is healthier option for people and the people who are having moderate consumption of wine is uh, have lower disease and high uh, have their, their health is better than the people who are abstain drinking. So this is one of the major argument bringing by wine industry. Okay, from the beer industry, they always argue that nudging consumers towards low or no alcohol beverages will lower the harmful uh, use of alcohol and their consequences on health. And they also make another argument that brewers are a part of community so it is saving the, the protecting brewery is part of so rural development especially in developing countries and those are the two arguments i basically find from beer industry but uh, for spirits they bring the wealth argument against the alcohol taxation and alcohol bans especially for the developed countries they they insist that increasing price of alcohol beverages in wealthier communities have low or no effect on uh, reducing harmful use of alcohol. And these are the specific and most prominent uh, arguments they brought when I differentiate between sectors. So I think the liquor industry claim 
uh, is uh, not so new, not so surprising. We, I, I think, discussed it. That seems to be a through line for um, all the alcohol industry front groups. But uh, what the specific claim of the wine industry um, is about, I think, is interesting to unpack a little bit. Christina, do you have a re reaction there? We understand from studies that um, they have not been done properly, like the abstainers uh, were taken as a, a homogeneous group of people. Uh, and the fact that uh, many people who abstain from alcohol do it because of some uh, health issues or either that they had uh, really heavy alcohol problems and had to stop. And of course, their, their bodies are damaged by alcohol or they have some other diseases and that's why they cannot use alcohol or they, they decide not to use alcohol and combine it with uh, medi other medicines and such. Um, then, of course, the people naturally have uh, worse health and that was not considered in this group uh, of abstainers. So that's what I could only add to this one. Yeah, I think this is very important. And, and there is a really excellent report about the health effects of low dose alcohol consumption. Um, and you have uh, summarized it a little bit. Basically, um, we are finding now, there's also an editorial in the British Medical Journal that is saying that we are finding that the evidence for alcohol's health benefit is evaporating, partly because of the, the quality of these studies that are showing this. So th those are poor studies or they actually have a conflict of interest. Like Shihara was also saying earlier, they have been paid for by the alcohol industry. And partly because, um, of course, that's a methodological issue. Um, as you were saying, Christina, it was not accounted for what um, alcohol abstention actually means. Uh, and uh, then this, uh, the health benefits actually disappear. At the same time, we always have to say, even if there would be health benefits, they are dwarfed by all the other negative outcomes. So alcohol causes cancer. Nobody takes a pill that causes cancer because it's somehow good for the heart a little bit. Nobody does that. And, and why are we treating or would we treat alcohol like that? So the health claims are blown out of proportions because the, the health damage is bigger always. Um, but we are also really now in a position to call into question and, and to raise doubt about uh, these earlier findings in these studies. And it's very clear that the methodology has to uh, become much better here. I think what we can see is that the, these submissions by the wine industry front groups, they are actually advancing spin, like talking points. It's not a good faith um, uh, submission contribution to this consultation. They just want to put out their talking point. And that seems to me, Shehara, the beer industry is also doing with claiming that brewers are part of the local community and are part of rural uh, development. They, they specifically uh, emphasize on developing countries. And uh, from my understanding, from the South Asia, I think brewing in a rural scale is very, very rare, very, very rare because it's always handled by multinational companies. And uh, but my understanding about other parts of developing world is not so proper to answer it. But from the South Asia and from my home country as a developing country, the brewing is always handled by multinational companies and the small scale brewers are very rare. I think this is a very important point, Shihara, because in the beginning, as we started this conversation, I read the submissions uh, that you actually analyzed. And these are the front groups for these largest alcohol makers in the world. They actually, if anything, they buy up the local beer maker or the, the local liquor maker. They have no interest and then they create these massive factories and then they're actually polluting and uh, undermining water security and food security. 
so they are really not part of the the rural community like that i but i started thinking where have i heard this claim before that this massive industry claims they really care for the local people the the, the rural people i think it's time to um zoom out of these uh, in-depth conversations about the claims that the alcohol industry has made or these uh, front groups for the the largest um, alcohol industry uh, actors here and i think i i want to zoom out by asking you shehara how is the industry actually dealing with science in their submissions now we have analyzed their claims and and we are saying this is contradictory this is not evidence based like christina was saying this is actually spin this is like a marketing message that they are sending in a document here to who uh, but you have gone through it in in detail in the last few days is everything that they are writing there um, referenced with footnotes do they have uh, solid evidence uh, sources how are they dealing with science what did you see yeah it, it is interesting that uh, many of the claims some solid claims they are making but not supporting those with proper science or proper backing of science and some of the claims as they said with the understanding of growing evidence and this and that but the no, source is not mentioned in the submission so how can we trace back or test the validity of these findings and there were multiple cases in multiple places that they have not mentioned their own sources and the places where they have mentioned the sources are also from their own studies as i mentioned earlier mm -hmm. so most of the studies were conducted by ird which is a main industry front group in the world so how 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 much we can rely on these sciences is a doubt so and another one is they are the third point is they are always attacking the existing science which is also accepted by the whole uh, accepted by the experts in who and in other fields and shehara do you have uh, an example a striking example for a claim they make that is actually not then proven by a source that they would add and where they don't actually um, then support that claim with evidence. Uh, there is a one example by Beer Canada that they said uh, growing evidence shows that regulatory environments should be designed to favor products with lower alcohol concentration. And, but they have not mentioned any source to support it. The no and low alcohol product issue came up before. You said, Shehara, also that you identified this as a specific uh, claim from the beer industry. Because I think um, in the context of no and low alcohol products, it's actually disingenuous of the alcohol industry. We just uh, also, when we discussed the conflict of interest, we looked at how reliant they are for their profits um, on heavy users and even miners. Um, and so this is just a tiny segment of the alcohol market. And, and I think they are just diverting attention. Of course, it's good that there are more um, alcohol-free products. It's good that uh, the alcohol units disappear from the market but they are not actually disappearing because the industry is relying um, on heavy users. And as uh, they are talking about no and low alcohol products, they're also working actively to you know, push into emerging markets. So to make all the abstainers in Sri Lanka or in Ghana start using alcohol and to make all the women who traditionally have not been using alcohol start consuming alcohol. So all these issues are also playing out as we speak and at the same time they they try to shift the focus to these low and no alcohol products that are basically also marketing tools as they look right now because they Heineken 00 actually looks like uh, Heineken uh, full of ethanol um, as well. Having discussed this now for the last 90 minutes and uh, having studied the submissions 
what is the biggest takeaway that is stuck in your mind? What is it that you take with you uh, from this? For me, I think uh, what is what uh, industry is actually taking advantage of every argument is the word harmful. And I believe WHO should rethink about it using that terminology. For me, if I take a meta perspective, so I, I wouldn't look I wouldn't look now at any single thing that you have identified, Shehara. Uh, I, I think that I'm closing the circle and I'm going back to what I have said in the beginning, uh, the, the way the industry has commented on this document. And I would conclude it with the fact that I think that the industry is very arrogant because it's really uh, the arguments are not really based on science or they are based on their own science. They are also not the, uh, always relating to the, to the document that they were supposed to actually uh, comment. And they are really not sophisticated, as I said. Uh, and as we can see that they are repeated, there, there is some kind of coordination in this. And if the if this the industry really doesn't even put effort into writing some good <laughs> solid arguments, but just do this to really waste time, take space, I think that it just really shows the arrogancy of the industry. Yeah, I I think that it's good to take a step back and think what is the purpose of this conversation going through these major claims. Um, as you are saying, Christina, what is it that we can identify and what's the significance that we learn here in terms of the, in, uh, the approach of the alcohol industry? And I'm, I'm with you. For me, the biggest thing is that as soon as you take this kind of comprehensive picture and you put all the claims together, you can see how some of the claims actually contradict each other. So the, like you are saying, they have not uh, you know, invested like we did a substantial amount of time and effort in actually making evidence-based claims and in responding to what WHO is asking for and uh, helping develop an action plan. But they also haven't actually realized that if you, if you have a document with these 10, 20 claims, they are actually undermining each other. They are contradicting each other. And so here we have an industry that is in lobby gear, making uh, points that in the end don't make sense if you just spend some time thinking about what they mean, actually. And so with this, uh, thanks for these uh, final thoughts and, and wrapping up. And of course, thanks, Shehara, for this analysis, a rapid analysis of um, uh, 16 submissions so far in a very short amount of time. I think it's really great work and, and very important. And of course, thanks for this marathon uh, podcast conversation uh, tonight. Uh, really appreciate uh, your your thoughts and uh, your analysis here, Christina and Chihara. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and having this great discussion. And it's very insightful from my side. And yeah, thank you so much uh, to Mike and to Christina for this great time together. Thanks, Chihara. Thank you, Chihara. I also think that it was actually very interesting to discuss this and dive into this analysis so uh, i am also very grateful for that shihara and i also wrote a joint blog post about her analysis we also make her analysis as such available for interested readers so please find it in the show notes and on our website even more background information about the WHO consultation and what Movendi International and our members submitted can also be found in the show notes and on our website at movendi.ngo. I'd love to hear and read from you if you have feedback, questions and suggestions. So please get in touch. My email address is 
mike.dunbia.movendi.ngo. You can also find my contact details in the show notes and I look forward to hearing from you. The Alcohol Issues podcast is made by Arin Pino, Kristina Sperkova and Mike Dunbier. Our theme music for this episode comes from LF Music. That's it for the Alcohol Issues podcast this week. Thank you for tuning in. Stay well and safe and talk to you soon.